<laughs> Thanks for doing the logo. It looks really, really, really good. I love it. It's so cute. Yeah. I've never drawn a weasel before. <laughs> I love Slink and his little <laughs> microphone. I know. I feel like he's a really good DJ. I should have had him chewing on a cord. <laughs> I had to look up what color he was because I didn't remember and you were you guessed right, so what, brown? Cool. I yeah, I went back and looked at the, the cover that I have and he's brown on that so i was like sure you've got not? oh yes link is on my cover, on cover. not on my yeah, cover is. what cover do you I have i have a digital cover because i have a kindle is it is is oh, it shade you... in a in a white in a white no, no it's, it's, it's probably it's the just newer one with standing with like fits. a hawk flying and like maybe a buck in the background i want to say that is something. creepy this is creepy you don't like Michael Weller? I don't want his hand on that boy's head. He looks like an altar boy. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's nasty. I like, I like that cover. I like the I cover too. A, because if you turn it on its side, AF. the fool's hand is on the spine. That's what you were talking about. I have never noticed that. Oh yeah. I personally think that Royal Assassin has the best cover of the versions that we have, Rachel. Which one is that? Just the completely absurd arms oh, open, yeah, the, with like, the, the yellow, completely, yes. like, with his, with his clothes or tatters. <laughs> yes. It's ridiculous. And he's just, like, standing on a cliff with it, like, 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 fuck you, God, fight me! I just envision, I haven't seen this cover, but I feel like it looks like R. Kelly and I Believe I Can Fly with this yes. shirt. Just like yes, <laughs> it looks just like that. It's, yeah, his shirt is just, like, half ripped open, and he's just, like, bare-chested. Okay. It's ridiculous. It's fantastic. Young Fitz is the bastard son of the noble prince chivalry, raised in the shadow of the royal court by his father's gruff stableman. Cool. Is, are you reading the summary or what? He is treated as an outcast by all the royalty except the devious King Shrewd, who has him secretly tutored in the arts of the assassin. For in Fitz's blood runs the magic skill and the darker knowledge of a child raised with the stable hounds and rejected by his family. Well, that but that makes it sound like the king is doing him a favor, and from where I'm at in this book, I don't think that's <laughs> really the case. <laughs> As barbarous raiders ravage the coast, Fitz in growing to man is growing to manhood. Soon he will face his first dangerous soul-shattering mission and though some regard him as a threat to the throne he might may just be the key to the survival of the kingdom i mean i think at this point the average person would be like soul-shattering seems a bit over dramatic yeah, that does. but i am seems a little i am here to tell you <laughs> this is very dramatic is anyway. it actually show I mean, your soul may not be safe. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Buckkeep Radio. Episode 1, Assassin's Apprentice, chapters 1 through 6. I'm Rachel, and I'm a rereader. I'm Eli, and I'm a rereader. I'm Jenny, and I'm a rereader. I'm Ashley, and I'm a new reader. I'm Joey, and I'm an audiobook listener. <laughs> For the first time. For the, For the first I time. said listener, not listener -er. Oh, I see. Okay. I think it'd be a re-listener. Right. 
Uh, first off, I'd like to thank Jenny for our awesome logo featuring Slink. Woo woo! Yeah, thank you. you. Yeah, it's much better than we deserve. <laughs> I was super so, impressed when I saw it. So the well, highest Jenny of is professional. Yep, she's a pro. I try. Uh, so this is going to be a spoiler-free discussion of the first six chapters in Assassin's Apprentice. So hold your spoilers, uh, rereaders, until the end, and then when I say we can talk about that, we will. So chapter one is called The Earliest History, and it starts off with a narrator kind of bringing us to his childhood, and we realize pretty quickly that that's Fitz. Um, what do you guys think about the fact that Fitz's memories start at six years old? I, that is so fucking bizarre to me because I remember stuff from when I was teeny, teeny, tiny. Like, and I know how young I was because of the house that the memories happened in. And they're, they're benign enough memories to where I know it wasn't like a story that was repeated to me. So the fact that his memory starts at six years old just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, he might have repressed it. It's extra bizarre because it's crystal clear memory. Yes. Yeah. At exactly the moment he starts remembering. Right. Well, but he does say that, like, in the intro of it, he says that he is recalling it. He thinks he's recalling it from his own mind, but that it could actually just be the memories of people retelling him the story of when he arrived. So we don't know if it's really his memory or not by his own admission. That's true, but there's some things, there's some details um, here. Uh, that make it seem like it is his memory. Uh, here's a passage. It says, The doors were tall, not just to a six-year-old boy, but tall enough to admit giants, to dwarf even the rangy old man who towered over me. And they looked strange to me, although I cannot summon up what type of door or dwelling would have looked familiar. Only that these carved and bound with black iron hinges, decorated with a buck's head and a knocker of gleaming brass, were outside of my experience. Like, I don't know if that would be part of the story that was told. True. Mm-hmm. He has kind of a freakish memory. He does. <laughs> I know it's a book, but... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. He... You have to put those details in, but... He does seem to have a talent for it. It's it's one of his good qualities. Which makes you wonder, <laughs> so is he just blocking the memory of his mom because he was ripped away from her, and so he just doesn't want to remember those memories? Or, I mean... I feel like there's some repressed trauma there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, get, being dragged off, I mean, who knows how far they had to go, but, it, like, just being dragged to a strange place by a grandfather who, I guess, felt nothing for you, which means that he probably didn't <laughs> treat you very well for the first six years of your life anyway, and then just dumps you, like... Yeah. Well, and the fact that he doesn't have a name, like, if the family truly didn't name him and they're just calling him boy, then obviously he wasn't treated with the most kindness, so... Right, right. Poor Fitzy. So we meet we meet uh, Verity and Regal pretty early on. Can I just say something about the whole history narration thing? Oh sure. <laughs> I just like the fact that he can't tell a history of the six duchies. He just has to talk about himself and it's I keep, it's so like, like, like something like he keeps trying to write a history yeah. of the six duchies, but he just keeps being about himself. Yeah, he's like, well, I tried, but, you know, I just kept going back to me because I'm what's important. 
Yeah, well, maybe he's a little bit self-centered. <laughs> maybe. Just a tad. Just I don't, a touch. I don't think he wants to be self-centered. I just think it sort of happens naturally. Well, like, he's clearly never gotten enough recognition in his life. So now he's like, this is my time to shine. I mean, I do have, I mean, a lot of things, obviously, in the story, like, they do flow around him, so I, I kind of get it, but it's still, I just think it's amusing. It is interesting, like, what, who is the intended audience of this, of this yeah. book? Mm-hmm. You know? Like, are you really going to talk about every, like, personal revelation of your child, of your terrible childhood, and then hand it <laughs> off to a bunch of strangers to, like, read? Bestseller in, in the Six Duchies. It's just the Us Weekly of his time. Like, he's just really out there with the rag mag dishing on everybody. Some poor child one day is going to be, like, copying this for a scribe. And like, oh, God, he's going through this again. <laughs> yes, we get it. Your childhood was terrible. Uh. Um, so we do meet Regal and uh, Verity pretty early on. But the, the kind of character that holds, that has, a, like, a shadow over, over everything is chivalry. Do you have any thoughts about the events in Chivalry's life that led to Fitz, that led to Fitz being dumped? I mean, I think it's, I think the sad thing is, is that Fitz was not born out of some like scandalous affair. It says that Chivalry had, you know, this sexual relationship with this woman before he was married. And that to me is kind of the sadness of it all, but it sounds like he was just kind of floating out there being a, single guy cruising the lands checking out the ladies and he happened to impregnate somebody but <laughs> which was apparently a great shame yeah apparently uh, everyone just i would really be fascinated by like a chivalry prequel story mm-hmm. i just want to yeah. know all about him and what he was doing and how he met patients and just like and just to see even like what they went and did when they went to withy woods and like that kind of thing yeah well, it's just, it's interesting because it's like, how much of Chivalry's actions after it is revealed that he has this bastard son have to do with his name being Chivalry? And how much does it have to do mm-hmm. with, like, actual culture? And I mean, like, I know that that's, that's kind of parsing them away from each other because their culture is that they're supposed to embody the name, right? But mm-hmm. it, it's like, was it really that serious? I mean, I don't know. I think there's probably, I think it's pretty chivalrous to stand by your woman if it's found out that you have a bastard child and just kind of like bow into the darkness and do like a, a slow, quiet exit. There's some mm-hmm. chivalry in that in, in regard for his wife, but I don't know. What about the fact that his uncles, Verity and Regal, basically are like, well, there he is. And then he gets <laughs> handed off to Burrich. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how Verity did everything, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I like this. The kind of, so, according to the uh, the dictionary, chivalry is the combination of qualities expected of an ideal knight, especially courage, honor, courtesy, justice, and a readiness to help the weak. But nowhere does it say, you know, that you can't go around and. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's also ideal according to the knights of the is, time. Is there is chastity well, one of the uh doesn't say anything well, about chastity in here. 
Nope. I mean, he was doing a woman a kindness by having sex with her, maybe if it was consensual. <laughs> so, I mean, and it's it, it's ahead. hinted at that Verity has done the same thing, right? And Regal definitely is all over the place. Regal's um, a piece of shit. So it's it's got, but it's so it's got to be you know a personal, a chivalry specific. You know, it's not the expectations of everyone else. Right, yeah. right. And later on, later on, yeah. people when when they talk about chivalry when they're at Buckkeep, it's very much like, well, chivalry made decent men feel like they were pieces of shit, and it was almost <laughs> like they were kind of okay with him leaving because he was just so so That's perfect that that right. it made him difficult to like. Uh huh. Uh. But before we, we kind of get to the buckkeep part, I do want to keep talking about this earliest history. So Fitz, when he's writing about this, we kind of get inside the head of this of this small child. And a lot of it is, you know, he's he doesn't really know what's going on, and he's meeting all of these people who will end up kind of shaping a lot of his life. Uh, you know, Verity and Regal and Birch especially. Uh, but it also, from the very beginning, is this kind of weird magic that he has. Yeah, the the wit comes out like in the first few pages. Yeah, I I don't think I noticed it the first time I read the book that early, but like the second time reading it, it's obvious that he's yeah he's he's communicating on some level with the animals immediately. Like it's like page three or something. He just does it naturally. Yeah, and it it the the way it's described it. It's like it's not a big deal. It's not. It's just a normal thing he's describing. But well, it's... it also seems to be the way that he has always been experiencing the world. So right, maybe right. maybe one of the things that drove his grandfather to get rid of him wasn't just their mm-hmm. their purported like inability to feed him, but maybe it was because he was exhibiting wit. Yeah, I didn't think of that before. Well, but maybe he did the repelling thing. To them, I mean, he doesn't. He says he that was the first time he did it, but if he doesn't remember before six, then maybe he did it mm-hmm. unintentionally mm-hmm. prior. Yeah. So let's move on to chapter two, which is called "New Boy," which is basically when Fitz comes to Buckkeep Town and Buckkeep the Castle, and kind of becomes uh, just a very lonely child. But I think what's interesting is the passage that is used to introduce this chapter is about Taker. And it says, there are many legends about Taker, the first out-islander to claim Buckkeep as the first duchy and the founder of the royal line. One is that the raiding voyage he was on was his first and only foray out from wherever cold, harsh island bore him. It is said that upon seeing the timbered fortifications of Buckkeep, he had announced, if there's a fire and a meal there, I shan't be leaving again. And there was, and he didn't. Uh, I just, like, what? So Fitz never left Buckkeep in this chapter because it was nice (laughs) like it's just like a weird setup well I guess when you are just being tossed around you know finding some place that feels secure where you would stay yeah I mean look he like stays underneath a fucking house where the dogs gave birth (laughs) for a while just because it felt secure and safe he's clearly just trying to find like where he fits in and where he can be without causing trouble well I think that's because he's also like sharing minds with nosy so he's just sort of like 
because Nosy feels comfortable there. Sure. He's like, oh, I will do this too. Because he's just doing it so subconsciously. Right, and he, and so like, you know, Burrich is kind of, he's like, well, I've got this this kid that they gave me, and, and Burrich has essentially lost his job, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like, chivalry has abdicated, but when he left, he didn't take his right-hand man with him, so now Burrich, who is also recovering from a kind of terrible injury that has changed the way his physicality he suddenly has this guy, this kid that he's supposed to take care of but he only knows how to take care of like animals in the barn and he treats Fitz like an animal in the barn he's like well I, I've given you food and a nice place to sleep and I'm keeping you clean what else is there and he wonders why like he gets so mad at Fitz for acting like an animal yeah but... yeah yeah what a hypocrite <laughs> but I did find it endearing that that's that he like was giving him the best of what he thought you know like that's what he knows he knows how to treat animals and treat them kindly and provide for them and he was doing that for Fitz it's just he wasn't considering that he was a human I mean I don't think that's bad for Fitz in the beginning you know like he's still you know giving him what he needs to survive and he's giving him a safe place well and he doesn't seem phased by it either he never we never hear from Fitz that it was like bad conditions or that he didn't feel like he was being paid attention to yeah he's just like okay cool it's the opposite right like when he finally gets a place in the castle he right he He shies away almost prefer yeah well, that's also because of the proximity of the animals who's, you know, because he's very used to kind of skimming through their minds and, and, and comforting himself with the simplicity of their thoughts. And, and you know, being a human isn't just about having a dry place to sleep, right? You have all these other worries, and I think he was definitely shying away from that. Uh, mm-hmm. But it is interesting, Ashley, that you said that Birch was kind, because I think that Birch's actions obviously say that he is kind, but Fitz, in multiple places, talks about how afraid of him he was and how scary he found Burrich. Uh, and a lot of it is just because he was small and Burrich was large and Burrich is gruff. But there's this dichotomy of, about about. He's also a drinker. Yes. Yeah. He does, he does drink quite heavily all the time. Well, and as uh, soon as Fitz finds out that he doesn't want him to have a relationship with the animals and that the wit is this negative thing, like, that obviously puts up an immediate barrier of, like, okay, this isn't who I thought it was and it's not somebody that I can trust quite as much as I could before. Yeah, Fitz has such a hard time trusting people because I th- anytime he lets himself be vulnerable, they do appear to let him down. But it is, it's, it's interesting that Burrich immediately knows what what the wit is right he knows what's happening right and immediate and he doesn't explain it you know it's like that it's that kind of genre specific you know thing where it's like well here's this magic but it's it's forbidden but i won't tell you why or or what it is or where it comes from or anything any information at all i'm just going to tell you to turn away from it of course that you're just leading someone into temptation that way right well i just like that he he says, like, you know, don't do that. And Fitz, like, has no idea what he's talking right. about. And he's like, what? You don't know? And yeah. he's like, I'm a six-year-old. Yeah, he's like, what, what the hell do I know about this? Yeah. Take your finger out of your ass. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's the, it's the equivalent of, please don't touch yourself in public. So, <laughs> I did want to bring up, so it happens um, at least two times, if not, the third time might happen in Chapter 3, I'm not sure. But, like, we have these different encounters of fits with people in chapter two where he's repelling people 
Mm-hmm. And as a new reader, not a lot of knowledge and everything, I couldn't tell if this was like a physical reaction, if it was a mental reaction, or if it was a combo of both. But you have an instance where he repels this person who's questioning who he is when they're in the keep. He does mm-hmm. it again with another character's drunken father where he takes a grown man and like takes him down to the ground. So he seems to be combating yeah, these like father. very large people. And he does it again to Burrich a little bit later. So but he's going up against these very like grown large figures, but seems to somehow repel them. And right. I didn't know if like it's literally him like physically hitting these people or if it's just like a mental game or if anybody has any extra insight into that. So, uh, so I don't, I don't, well, I don't, you know, that we do have a spoiler ban, but right. I will say that it is, it is something that, that Fitz is doing mentally that has a physical reaction in the people okay. that he does it to. But speaking of Molly's dad, let's talk about Molly Nosebleed. Oh, poor little Molly Nosebleed got the worst nickname in the books. <laughs> that's, that's such a shitty name. Um... So, you know, when Fitz goes down to the town, he meets all these little kids and they're having fun and he's, you know, he's relating to people his own age and, and they're just seeking, you know, positive experiences. And he obviously thinks of this with great fondness, but, you know, everyone else is basically just seeing, like, beggar children running around dirty, stealing. <laughs> and Molly is kind of the the lead, the leader of, of that group or... At least the one that Fitz notices the most. Ollie and mm-hmm. Carrie. Yeah, yeah Carrie, Carrie is another best bud. In chapter two. I like, it's, I, Molly is an interesting character because she obviously comes off as kind of the lingering ringleader of this kind of like hoodlum of children and they're all just kind of doing their thing and she seems so strong and independent and Fitz seems to be like learning things from her and the other kids and then when her drunken father comes around, I really hated to see her just become so submissive almost immediately yes yes uh yeah because you're like oh here's someone that Fitz has a lot in common with right like you know an absent parent or a disappointing parent they're both dealing with an authority figure that's often drunk uh and they are very lonely they're they don't have anyone that they can turn to that will stick up for them so they have to stick up for themselves and so then like when he shows up and molly's immediately like oh no don't die it's like wow right yeah (laughs) well because it's still the technically the person that's you know, taking care of you, not that he's doing it. Oh, I mean, it's, it's the typical abusive <laughs> cycle, for sure, where oh, you want yeah. them to beat the shit out of you, but you still want them to be with you every day, so. Mm-hmm. Let's, speaking of abuse, poor Birch. So he is clearly trying to do the best that he can, and for whatever reason, he fears the wit to an nth degree. How do we feel about Nosy? And what happened to him? So, okay, Sad. I have, like, big question mark with what happened to him. Like, did did Nosy get murdered? <laughs> or did Nosy <laughs> just get sent away? Well, that's the question, right? Because it seems like Fitz, Fitz doesn't really try to explore what that meant. All he knows is that there was a flash and then Nosy right. was gone. The connection was severed. Well, <laughs> I took it to mean that he was. Dead. I took it to mean he was dead as well because yeah. Burrich comes back. Burrich comes back, and I always want to say a K on the end of his name. I don't know why, but Burrich comes back, and he says that like it was such a shame that he had to get rid of this animal. And I'm like, right. Well, but like you could have just given him to somebody else. Like you didn't have to murder <laughs> him. But 
It reminds me a lot of the Unsullied in Game of Thrones, <laughs> where it's like, we have to make you hard, kill the puppy, you know? Yeah. Like, Ben Birch would have made Fitz kill the Fitz puppy. kill the puppy. Well, he's not a monster. He's just a man doing poorly, but at the best he can knows how. <laughs> it's just like, just it's like how to traumatize a child. To make it in the world. Well, yeah, how to, how to traumatize a child in, like, four easy steps. Abandon <laughs> them multiple times. Leave them to their own devices so that they forget how to talk to other people. And Yeah. All healthy. Yeah? You think so, Joey? Sure. So they describe it as there was a sudden flash of red pain and Nosy was gone. Yeah, I think Nosy's dead. I know, I just didn't want to believe it. He's gone, the pup's gone, and a damn shame, for he was good blood. End quote. Thanks, Burritch. Yeah, but it does just Mm -hmm. really drive home how terrified Burritch is of the wit. And, like, to what length he's going as somebody who is in charge of keeping all these animals safe and happy. And he doesn't want anything bad to happen to them, but then he kills this pup. Right, and and that represented kind of like a deep betrayal between Fitz and Burrich, a, a person who he felt like he was beginning to trust, because he says, but I did not feel protected by him. I felt confined. He was the warden that ensured my isolation with fanatical fervor. Utter loneliness was planted in me then and sent its deep roots down into me. Like, at this point, Fitz is, I don't know how old he's supposed to be, like... Fitz is six, isn't he? Well, sometimes no, he's a little bit old. Uh, yeah. In chapter three, they say he's just shy of his tenth year. Yeah, oh, so wow. he's, I think, like, at least a year has gone by before he kind of, like... So he's probably seven or eight. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, he's just this kid, and this, and, and he's already had all these traumatic things happen to him, and this is the event that he says is what <laughs> put the planted, planted utter loneliness, you know, inside of him, like... Well, I'm sure this is probably the first time he, like, really bonded with an animal, so I think, you know, when that tie is cut, I think it just... Because he'd been sharing minds with Nosy so much that I don't think he was prepared well, right, for there's that, that whole one thing half of, of him to be gone. Yeah, there's that whole thing about how they were, like, throwing things back and forth while they were running away, like, they were the sausages or whatever, and right, right. he was able to basically, to you know, mind meld with this dog so that the dog knew to, like, go left and he could go right, and then they could, they were each an arm for a, you know, a single brain. That's, and I can't believe no one noticed, but nobody, I guess nobody just paid attention to him at all. Yeah, I think that's it. Nobody's even looking at him. He can, he can live yeah, in I'm the shadows. Yeah, I'm surprised it took Birch that long to figure it out. Right. I, I, Since he's, like, clearly very aware of it. Right. I mean, maybe this magic really isn't as all that common. Uh, let's move on to chapter three called Covenant. I think this is a really important chapter for Fitz for the rest of his life. Um, mm-hmm. This is when he makes the deal with King Shrewd to, to begin, begin training. Is this as, when he gets his assignment? This is when this is when <laughs> King Shrewd notices Fitz, essentially. Not for the first time, but publicly, right? This is when Fitz remembers being noticed by Shrewd. Right. And he says, you can be a king's man. And he gives him the pin and asks him if he will do as he's told. And Fitz says, yes, it's like, I'm going to give you, it's such a crazy thing because it's like, you're going to be my man. You're going to do stuff. I'm not going to tell you any of the details, but you're going to do it. And he's like, well, yeah, I guess so. Sure. (laughs) 
And it's it's such a funny scene too because he's like what an eight or nine year old kid and he's eating leftover food on the floor with a bunch of puppies. Yeah, he's like stealing <laughs> pies in the kitchen. Yeah. And then he just pops out from under the table and there's the king. <laughs> it's the king and Regal and it's the first time that we see the fool as well. Who, yes, I have is. to say, just based on the description, I'm fucking terrified of the fool. <laughs> <laughs> like, this dude sounds creepy as all hell. Unhinged. Um, I won't dispute that. Uh, <laughs> but it is actually an interesting kind of thing that Robin Hobb does with the show Don't Tell, right? Because instead of, we get a lot of exposition where Shrewd and Regal are talking to each other about Fitz as if he's not there, but he's there. And of course, Shrewd is you know, knowingly talking about Fitz in front of him. Mm-hmm. Because he wants he Fitz to hear. hear what he's saying. I do, like, throughout, obviously in the beginning of this book, we see this child who's been abandoned and he's being passed around and he doesn't know who he can trust. And there's this whole, like, identity kind of crisis for this child of, like, who he is and where he stands in the world. And this chapter, there's when the king is talking to Regal and, they're speaking about Fitz. The, he says this section where it says, so what will you make of him? A tool, a weapon, a comrade, an enemy? Or will you leave him lying about for someone else to take up and use against you? And it's just another example of how nobody has any regard for this person as a human. He's just this thing that's present and they're going to fully use him as a pawn in whatever they need to make happen. Absolutely. And I... You know. Yeah, it's kind of sad. I was going to say, what happened to Regal being all obsessed with the succession in the first chapter, and now he's just ignoring him, and Shrewd has to point out, like, hey, maybe you should be It's because he's hungover. <laughs> it's because it's he's hungover, and it's also Forevermore. Because... <laughs> he's hungover forevermore. But, but it's also because he, it's, it's just, just, he only thinks what his mother thinks, right? So mm-hmm. he's like, oh, you know, you don't approve, do you, Regal? The king's tone was conversational. My king may do whatever he wishes, sulky. King Shrewd sighed. That is not what I asked you. My mother, the queen, will certainly not approve. <laughs> Favoring the boy will only make it appear you recognize him. It will give him ideas and others. So it's like, well, what, so what? We're just going to keep him? He's going to be the dog boy under the table until he's 25? And then he's the dog, <laughs> like, and then he's the dog man? Like, what, what does Queen Desire think? I mean, obviously Queen Desire is not thinking at all because she's probably smoking a pipe in the back and... I love that Shrewd just, like, does not care about Desire anymore at all. He's just like, whatever. Well, like, what? I mean, Shrewd... She's not mentioned too much. Desire? Yeah. She's, she's one of those characters that's talked about more than you see her, but you do see her occasionally. Mostly you hear Regal talking about her. Because yeah. <laughs> it's his only bargaining chip. My mom, chip. the queen. Mom's my mother, the queen. Do you know my mom's the queen? She's <laughs> uh, got a t-shirt that says it. <laughs> my mother, the queen. You know, I have to tell you, this reread is making me really want to cosplay Regal. Um, <laughs> Jesus. You know, I do. I just same, same. Just, that would be really fun. That would be so fun to just be regal, like yeah, and just be an asshole. Just to everybody. Be an asshole, but look really good. Well, maybe you could call it cosplay. It's hate, hate cosplay, hate cosplay, cosplay. <laughs> um, I'm trying to get to the part where he, where. Hold on. So there's a couple other things that. Oh yeah, here it says, he says, I could feel the waves of anger Regal suppressed as he looked at the floor. So he's still just straight up feeling everyone's emotions. 
Just being a weird little witch kid. Does I heard that, an interesting thing. Does today. that mean that? Does that mean that Regal has some slight affinity for the wit? No, I because think he no. He, I think he, he describes he describes Sooty as being silent. Right, that's Sooty. Sooty's a horse. Right, right. But I took that as Sooty had no affinity for the wit. Well, there are some animals that don't. They don't. They're not part of that bargain, right? They're like, yeah, yeah, I can hear you. I don't care, right? <laughs> but I think you're you're conflating a couple different magics together, and that's all I'm going to say. Um, well, yeah, I have that question as well. But I think I read an interesting thing today that talked about, I mean, it was about Fitz and the Fool and their relationship, but it, it relates to this too, just that Fitz relies more on, like, sort of questing out to other people and, instead of actually just listening to them yes. and like right, reading right. their body language and stuff he just that's what he does first and so I, I think that's, like he kind yeah. of misses other things yeah I think that's one of his big failings and why he comes across as incompetent sometimes he does rely on his magics can you imagine what it must be like to have a conversation with Fitz at this point in his life <laughs> like he must seem like a fucking idiot yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Not even. He doesn't even say uh, yeah. Uh. He just he just stares at people and then like maybe nods acknowledgement, but he doesn't have anything to say. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think makes his relationship with the fool even more interesting early on. Right. So well, it's a, here's a, here's the creepy here's the creepy meeting. Here it goes. It says. I stood and watched as the old king departed the hall. I felt an echoing loss. Strange man. Bastard though I was, he could have declared himself my grandfather and had for the asking what he instead chose to buy. At the door, the pale fool paused. For an instant, he looked back at me and made an incomprehensible gesture with his narrow hands. It could have been an insult or a blessing, or simply the fluttering of a fool's hands. Then he smiled, waggled his tongue at me, and turned to hurry after the king. Uh, two things. One, the fool doesn't actually speak to him in this meeting. And the other is that whenever, um, Robin Hobb does some interesting things with the language in her books and we're talking about it. So I'm going to describe what's happening. The first time he calls him the fool, the pale fool, fool is capitalized. But when he's talking about a fool's hands, that's not capitalized. So there seems to be a difference between this type of, this type of like, creature or uh, you know it's like one seems to be a noun like a proper noun whether it's an occupation mm -hmm. or an identity it's his name it's one's his name and the other is that's something that a fool would do right. a jester right. would do right well we're inside Fitz's head so these are the these are what he you know the distinctions mm -hmm. he's making I don't know I think that's interesting she does some cool stuff with that and then I know Ashley you had some stuff in the notes about um, I dialect. Yeah, I can't decide how I feel about the I dialect. So I dialect being uh, Rachel and I had to. I didn't know what this is called, so I had to look it up. But it's basically she kind of goes through like, and I guess it's related to kind of the social stature of the characters in the book, so you can kind of tell where they are. But certain people, when she writes out what they're saying, it's actually like instead of saying hello, it's hello. And it's written out the way that they actually speak it, but you, and she uses it really intermittently, and it kind of drives me a little bit crazy because I feel like we need to either fully commit because we all know that none of, there 
everybody has to have some type of accent or dialect in their speak, but she only uses it every now and then, and I just really dislike it. Yeah, because you asked me about a while ago, I've sort of ruminated on it, and I, I feel like it's more about how Fitz's accent and the accent of the upper class people at Buckkeep Castle, that's the, like, baseline accent, whatever right. it is. yeah. And then everyone else, if they're not from there or that or of a different social class, they are the ones that get the eye dialect. Yeah. It definitely seems to have to do with social class, but yeah. Is it like a milady versus my lady? Yeah, kind of thing, kind of thing where it's like you're reading it or like even when they call him the bastard. So some of them say bastard, B-A-S-T-A-R-D, and other of them say bastid. And it's just yeah. like... I don't know. It just bothers me how like sparsely it's used at times, and then other times it's a little Is heavier. It my my brain didn't even recognize this at all. I, I remember the bastard I, one. I don't remember the Joey. Rest. How does that sound in the audiobook? That's not. I well, you wouldn't know. So it's they just, don't. It's all, they always speak in dialect, so it's you know. Okay. Unless you're sitting there noticing it, you're not gonna. I just think it's interesting because the. Well, one, I mean, Robin Hobb is an American, so I don't really know what kind of accent she's trying to evoke. Like, I guess it could be, you know, standard, like, European, you know, English kind of accents. But in my head, I'm like, the bastard, like, I'm like, they're all from Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) I just think of in the labyrinth of the little worm, and and he's like, hello. And then she goes, did you just say hello? And he's like, no, I said hello. (laughs) And that's all that replays in my head every time I read it. Uh, so let's get to the end of chapter three, the covenant. So he, you know, he made he made the deal with Shrewd and said, "Yes, I'm gonna, I'll be your man." He's a child. I don't think he really knows what that means. Um, Shrewd, I guess, did his best at explaining to him what it would actually mean. Um, but after that, he gets signed up for lessons, and he's real tired and working really hard. Um, and so then we move into chapter four, the apprenticeship. This is the chapter where uh, Shade shows up. But before we get there, there's one thing. There's this, what, there's, this, uh, there's this idea that Fitz needs a name. And at this point, he's like 10 years old. <laughs> and he has this whole conversation with Burrich. And Burrich is like, yes. oh, well, you're the... Okay, sorry, I wrote I wrote this down too. I found it to be really weird, but keep going. Sorry. Yeah, and he's like, "Well, you know, you should choose a name for yourself. You've been acknowledged, right? Like, you are the king's man. Like, you're. They're they're saying that you are a farseer, so you are entitled to at least a bastard farseer's uh, colors." And Fitz is basically like, "Oh well, I, if if I was going to have the name, the king should name me." I'm not going to name myself. Um, what is what is this obsession with like Fitz Fitz's name? I mean, Fitz doesn't Fitz means bastard. Well, Fitz, <laughs> so, yeah, Fitz oh, technically well, means go. son of. Like it's so there's son it, of. It, I mean, like when you talk about like Fitz Simmons and that is a type of name, right. Fitz's son of. But like to me, I feel like it's just another example of how like he's searching for identity. And these people just, like, won't give it to him. Because people don't name themselves. You are born into this world and somebody names you. And Burrich is telling him, like, well, just pick a name. You could be whatever. And he's like, no, I'd rather the king pick it. Or even, like, you, I want you to pick it. And they're just unwilling to do that for him because they will not allow him to have an identity. 
Right. And, like, what's, what the fuck is wrong with chivalry that chivalry, at least, wouldn't extend a note and be like, <laughs> he's chivalry. Name... I mean, if you want to talk about chivalry, like, where is chivalry? He's so backed out in this entire thing. He's not all of a sudden going to be like, oh, yeah, let me throw a name your way. Like, he disappeared. He abdicated his, his throne and he just pieced out and went into the drift. He ghosted everybody. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. Did they did they say that he did that because Patience was so upset? So that's it? well, that's the rumor. That's the rumor that that he that he isn't even going to acknowledge that Fitz exists because of his lady. Because it's, it's Patience very was bizarre. so ashamed that she was barren or whatever. Yeah, and all this crap. And it's like, well, one, he didn't know Patience when Fitz was conceived, right? And two. Uh, like all of this is coming from secondary sources and I just don't, I don't know. I, I have a lot of, we'll talk about it later, but I, I have a lot of problems with that read that, that chivalry just is doing this all for patience. I think chivalry is being a super farseer and is a fucking yeah. coward and <laughs> feels really bad that he abandoned this child and can't really feel, doesn't really understand or know how to fix it because Shrewd is basically like, well, if you're going to abdicate, you need to get the fuck out because we can't have someone making people confused about Verity. And we don't that's, suppose it's fair. That's a really good take. I didn't think of that before, but they are all, they're all cowards. They're all, <laughs> all of them. Every last one of them. <laughs> well, they're all kind of indecisive on what to do, so I right. guess... He's like, well, rather than make a decision, I'll just leave. Right. And I mean, it's not like, I don't think he did that in a vacuum. I think he talked to Shrewd, right? Well, yeah. yeah. Shrewd seems to have an opinion. Yeah. So the other thing that comes up in chapter four, we we have this conversation about Fitz getting a name and everything, but he's also actually given proper clothes now that he's actually mm -hmm. like an acknowledged person under the king. He otherwise gets clothes. you get to wear rags. Yeah, and so he goes, and he's Miss Hasty, and she's making clothes for him, and he receives them, and he has the buck on his on his clothes, and it has the red slash through it. And I'm like, yo, y'all yes. could beat it. Like, he's down. Could we just let him? Like, His name is already Fitz. His, yeah. Right, and they, and they refer to him as The Fitz. It's not he's even the Fitz. Fitz. He's the Fitz. He's... <laughs> With a capital T and a capital F. Yeah, like, that he is this, like, side blow, right? Like, he's just, it's like a, you know, bodily function. So, yeah, it's like he's bestowed with, like, these tailored clothing, which he's not used to having, but then he gets them and it has this buck on it with the red slash through it, like the extra little salt So there are different bucks, the right? So the royal family gets a charging buck. Right. Everyone else, if you are pledged to someone in the royal family, has, like, a buck head. No, the royal family gets the buck head. Oh, the royal family yeah. gets the buckhead, and then he... Yeah, because it says that Burrich... I know from my cosplay. It says that the Burrich and all of the men who are, like, fighting and everything have, a, like, a leaping buck. They get buck. The, the leaping buck. Oh, a leaping buck. buck. Yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry, I had it backwards. So what does he have right on that? When, when Mistress Hasty gives him his clothing, is it a charging buck or a buckhead? It's a buckhead. No, it's a buckhead buck with a slash, slash through it. A red right. slash. Okay. Right. It means he's of the blood, but he's a bastard. Yeah. Okay. Because that's what I put on my vest for my cosplay. Right, yeah. Yeah, it is, it is like, shitty, where it's like, here's your, here's the yeah. cool... You fancy, but you're still a piece a of shit. Hey, like, <laughs> it's just so... Yeah. 
but you know, he, he gets other things uh, besides a traumatic childhood and people treating him like crap. He gets a secret, <laughs> a secret tutor, a nighttime, a nighttime tutor, Yuck. who shows up in his room at night through a special door. <laughs> what do you guys think of Shade's introduction? I actually love it because he is clearly like a little bit ADHD, <laughs> a little bit. Why? He, because he can't remember what he's doing. He does it. He's like, oh right, I heard about you a while ago, and then. Then it took them a while to ask me, and then it took me a while to remember you existed and say yes. And now I'm here. He, he lives alone in the walls. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, he's like in for like seventy years or however long. But like he's he's got ADHD, so he's like he's got like restless leg syndrome in the walls. Like no, it's to me, it came he's... it came he comes more across as like a guy who has a drug problem, and it's just like. <laughs> <laughs> only comes down and he's like super high and is like hey like let's hang out so just isn't like quite all there just as a space cadet and yeah the local hermit yeah well he says you're awake good get up and follow me he turns abruptly from my bedside and walked away from the door to a shadowed corner of my room between the hearth and the wall not like hey i'm shade <laughs> <laughs> just like get up come through this hole in the wall let's go and he's just like his his movement is like quick and yeah i think maybe the drug addict thing is a little is a little unreal. and then he makes him clean yeah. and he makes him clean right <laughs> yeah, he's like, welcome to my cesspool get to scrub it <laughs> i do think it's interesting that so he does say a couple times that they only they only work on King Shrewd's direct orders, right? Yeah. Only King Shrewd knows about mm-hmm. them. Um, but when he first, I, at some point in very early, he does say that it it took Shrewd a while to remember that he was in there. So <laughs> was he just like in the walls by himself for like 10 years or something? Well, no, I think, anybody... well, think about it. It took Shrewd, like, at least a year to even, like, have the conversation with Regal about Fitz while he was eating bread under the table. Like, how long... How long... It was longer than a year. It was, like, three years. Yeah, so he's like, oh, right, this guy. This this guy. <laughs> like... Actually, it was more, because he was 12. Yeah, so I think Shrewd... Was he 12? Shrewd... So, like, six years? It took him six years? Shrewd has, like, just a lot on his mind. And yeah, a lot of meth on his mind. <laughs> uh, but so we so this description of shade that he has like all of the pock marks again. And he wears a supports my meth theory. <laughs> he wears the robes and he's just all gray. His clothing is gray. It's like undyed woolen. Like he he does his clothing doesn't even have color to it. He's just this guy that lives in the wall. He's Obi Wan. But He's clearly, ghost, when they moved yeah. him, to, when they moved him to that room, they moved him to that room with shade in mind. So, like, maybe they're moving slowly, but I feel like there there is a purpose to the madness. How long was he in that room when before shade showed up? I don't think it was that a long. night. No, it was a little bit because he has to go through all this. He starts training with Hod. Oh. And he's, and he's working for Burrich, right? Because Burrich gives him a horse, so he's training with Burrich, and then he's working with Hod, and he's like, I have the pin from the king, and then suddenly this this old man with a scary face in the middle of the <laughs> night. And then he goes on to say that, like, sometimes Shrewd didn't show up for a couple weeks. Sometimes he would show up at midnight, sometimes four in the morning. 
Sometimes they shade. That's yeah. shade. They would shade. Yeah. Oh yeah, I meant shades. I think he just had bad acne. <laughs> oh, your comments. What? <laughs> He's a major contributor, Rachel. <laughs> he just what? That's very conceivable. He just had a, he had teenage acne and it sucked, and he got some scars. Yep. That's We've all been was. there. Yep. But now we have lasers. They didn't have lasers back then. Yeah, they didn't have fucking lasers. Would you, <laughs> would you guys agree to follow the old man into the wall? If I was as lonely as Fitz says he was, hell's yes. Like, loneliness is a, such a burden, and it is, it feels absolutely horrible. And he says how lonely he is. He says, I'm mm-hmm. in the keep, and there's all these people hustling and bustling around me, but I don't have friends anywhere. I'm not allowed to talk to animals. Bert just cut me off. And you just know that he's in this, like, desperate state. So if the meth head ghost from the walls comes out to talk to me, I'm probably going to talk back. <laughs> but right, but then when he says, when he says... I'm to teach you to be an assassin. Is that all right with you? I'm kind of like, let's really define assassin and really like just see where this goes. I mean, he does say like, will you learn? And then you can decide. He does. Yeah. He gives him the option. This is like, all right, sure. There was no choice. Right. But I guess it is. It seems to me as if Fitz was put into a position at Buckkeep that one separated him from other people Mm -hmm. right he he even let's say he didn't have the wit and he didn't have he didn't have the far seer skill and he wasn't able to read people's emotions and he was just a lonely ignored child that's a serial killer in the making right he's he's lonely like here we'll teach you how and we'll teach you how and you won't have any and and you've only you've already pledged yourself to this king who says he's going to give you everything after he could have already given you regular clothes (laughs) <laughs> but instead you were made to eat on the floor with dogs for a while and then they gave you clothes and nice things it, i feel like he's getting a little brainwashed oh for sure i totally agree yeah. with that like they don't want him to be a thinking person no I mean, that's not yeah. your job again shade tells they him it's not our job trained him to not have any sense of identity and to not have any individualism so this is just right on par with the path that they've paid for him Even as like a ten-year-old, and he doesn't—if he doesn't have com, uh, if he doesn't have any understanding yet that he can't just go out anywhere and do whatever he wants without being a threat to the throne or whatever—he still, you don't really have a choice when the king gives you an offer like that. Like yeah, no, because kid, if he had said no, they would have been like, "Well, let's take him where Nosy went." Yeah, because he <laughs> right, said very like, clearly it, he wasn't going to leave him out to be picked up right. by anyone else. Well, and we're not quite to speaking about it yet, but at the end of chapter six, he's kind of left with an option on that, and he he doesn't seize the moment. So there you go; he was fully brainwashed. Yeah. Well, and at the end of chapter four, to keep us going, uh, Hob does set up kind of a conflict between Burrich and Shade in. In, at least in Fitz's mind, right? Because it's not as if Birch and Shade are hanging out. Right. <laughs> but they both have this role in Fitz's life as a, a bit of a father figure, especially, like, as a teacher, as a role model. Uh, and is he going to be like Shade or is he going to be like Birch? And, you know, Shade has offered 
him these kind to like teach him unknown things right in service of this king who he has pledged allegiance to but then Burrich reminds him at the end of this chapter you know I was chivalry's man and chivalry was your father and this was the kind of man that chivalry was and chivalry doesn't sound like the kind of guy that would embark on becoming an assassin uh, so it's just a nice little detail that I think Hobb puts in there about that's going to come into play later about how Fitz models himself with these two men Let's move on to chapter five, loyalties. This is when uh, we see Fitz kind of going through all the training in his in his in his day, but he's also being uh, tested. He he has to do all these different things, right? Steal stuff, sneak around, uh, deliver messages, and then he finally gets this one mission from Shade that says you're going to steal something from King Shrewd's room, and it it really does create a point of conflict in Fitz's mind and then later on you learn that Shrewd was the one who wanted him to be tested to see if he would betray Shrewd even if it was to steal something simple like a hairbrush from his room which it's just the whole thing is so fucked it's just like the next level of him being brainwashed and torturing him in the process and he just kind of breaks and I mean, I guess shout out well, he, to he totally breaks. Yeah, but I mean, like shout out to Fitz for not being unloyal or disloyal to the king. Like he totally sticks to his guns, but in the process, he's literally tortured. Like he becomes physically ill because of the way that he's treated. Well, it's definitely leading up to this where he's doing all of these little missions for Chade. He sort of comes into his own, and it's his first time he really belongs at something. It's the first time he's good at something, and he really gets along with Shade and can, you know, it's like they are sharing secrets together, but in the process, he's sharing more with Shade than he ever did with Burridge, really. Yeah, he has much more of a connection with him than he did with Burridge. Yeah, or with anyone else. And so it's like the first time he belongs, and then they pull this bullshit on him. And people do notice, right? Like when he's in his bunk, like Burge says, you know, what what is wrong with you? And Fitz says, I'm just so alone now, I heard myself say. And even to me, it sounded like a feeble complaint. Alone? Burge has <laughs> browsed it. Fitz, I'm right here. How can you say you're alone? <laughs> Somehow I feel like he wasn't speaking metaphorically, though. He was like, we're in the same room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm right here. Birch isn't really metaphorical. He's very direct. I, I would have failed that test. I don't. That's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have stolen from the king. It's cool. Yeah, I'd have been like, okay, that's my job. But it does. It does drive home the the, you know, what Eli said that only Shrewd can give those orders, right? And it's one thing to like test your skill but it's another thing to steal from the one authority figure that you have the authority figure that you have and the figure that's given you the most when you've really had nothing yeah yeah and when he takes that knife he takes the king's he's like you know when he says fine take it yeah i'm giving it to you 
So what? So I, I need, I might need a little more explanation on this. So he refuses to go against the king. He's like ab- abandoned and goes through this horrible trauma of being alone again. Shade comes, apologizes, says it was the king's idea, and then he goes into the king's office. And the king tells him that, but then he takes the king's knife. It says that he takes the king's knife while he's looking like directly into his eyes. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like it was sort of is that a, like just like, like a power move? Like this. he's trying to like no, I, it was permission. Okay, it was permission. All right, he took it with with the king's consent. But then why why take it at all? To go threaten he's Shade. Pissed. He's pissed. <laughs> he's well, pissed. Yeah, he's pissed. But like, what does because, that serve him ultimately? To th- because I think to threaten Shade with the king's knife and not just any knife to complete the mission. In a, in a way, even though they both know that he didn't. it was a test, oh, yeah, and and he won the test, and to, to I don't know, I it was a big fuck you to Shade for sure. Like, don't ever fucking ask me to do this again, and you should have told him no. Yeah, okay. As if Shade could tell him no. I know that's why that's I guess did. that's why the whole thing to me just is like okay, so I'm gonna take this knife, but I'm not really taking it because you're looking right at me. So like, thanks for the knife. Then I'm gonna go chop it into the mantle in front of this guy. But like, he didn't have any choice in the matter, anyways. I mean, Fitz it's, is... I mean, yeah, Fitz doesn't have any power, but that's. I mean, it's just his way of acting out. Well, and Shane didn't have yeah. any but... power, but yeah. All right, last chapter we're covering today is Chivalry Shadow, Chapter Six. This is the chapter where we find out that. Uh, there are an increase in Out Islander raids happening, and there's some other politics going on in the background. Uh, Fedrin comes, he's the scribe, uh, and offers to take Fitz on as an apprentice. And also, Fitz is reunited with Molly yeah. in, Buck- in Buckkeep Town, and she's older now and wearing skirts. Shout out and to skirts, in, getting that airflow. Yep, yep. Uh, and you find out that you know her family makes candles. Joey's shaking his head. Not a big fan of Molly. Uh, and, then the, and then the big, the big reveal, uh, and then the big reveal is that chivalry has suddenly died, uh, and he's he finds out because Regal and Verity come, you know, tearing up the street on their on their horses, and they see they see Fit standing there, and they they think he's Chiv- chivalry's ghost. They say there's a lot of talk throughout all these chapters about how much Fitz looks like chivalry. I I think it's just like the shittiest way you could possibly be told that your dad's dead. I know oh, they just yeah. say it. They're like, so they're just like, oh shit, you looked like your dad's ghost because <laughs> your dad's dead. dead. Sorry. He's like, oh my bad. I guess I could have been better Sorry. about that. Yeah. Sorry. I do like that he scolds them about the horses. Oh yeah, riding double yeah. on the horses yeah. on the cobblestone. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, oh, come with us. He's like, no, no, I don't, I don't need to be with you. So there's a couple things. It's like, so he starts scribing for Fedren, and then he gets this idea of, okay, well, if I start doing this, that I might have the potential to travel and to leave this place. And mm-hmm. it piques interest in him. But then when he actually goes back and has a conversation with Shade about it, he's like, no, you're never going to be able to do that. Like, you're, <laughs> you're trapped. Like you have you have nowhere to go, you're too much of a liability to be wandering about because you're related to the royalty. So that was another 
Real sad bummer for old sad sack Terziak fits in this situation. <laughs> Poor bastard. Sad sack's anonymous. It's starting. <laughs> hi, hi. Rachel's the only one. He's like, oh, that's amazing. JK. We did talk about the sad sack's anonymous in the intro episode. You'll be proud. Oh, good. <laughs> right now, I think that Fitz is kicking Jon Snow's ass. <laughs> Because, you know, John got a name. I mean, not a last name, but he got a first name. It's just, it's the highest highs and the lowest lows, you know? You're like, oh, I have a purpose. I could have this future. I could, I could see the world. I could do anything. I could be whatever I want to be. And, oh, look, that girl is really pretty. And, oh, no, you're trapped in the walls with an old scary man and your dad is dead. (laughs) (laughs) So we do get to see him go, though, back into town he's allowed to then like run errands in the town which is when right. he comes because Fedrin sends him for some so ink a couple of things happen. i like that he yells out nosebleed at her yeah hey nosebleed a couple of things happen <laughs> like, though like oh. so he does get reunited with molly nosebleed but right before that he runs into a woman who calls him Kepet, mm-hmm. and she's just like screaming Kepet at him over and over <laughs> like it's gonna make I more mean... sense if she says it louder and more <laughs> yeah which is helpful yeah yeah yep i I, do you have any thoughts do readers all i could figure uh... is that she recognized him in some capacity but i don't know what kept it means if it's a name or if it's a term or what so it's it's interesting how how suddenly disinterested in that fits became right his reaction (laughs) was weird i think it's because he just hit puberty and he just saw molly (laughs) he's like pardon me I have somewhere to be there's skirts over there I have to go there are skirts I I don't think that that's a you know uh, yeah okay Okay, so I have to read more to find out the answer we'll get to that later read more to find out the answer yes Uh, we'll talk about that in the spoiler section yeah we'll we'll, yeah stay tuned for spoilers (laughs) but not you Ashley Oh, I'm a loser. Well, jo- wait, no, is it just me? Am I the only noob? I am. Well, jo- Joey, but he's already read through the whole. He's not really a noob. He's in the, like book five. Yeah. Yeah, but I listened. So, oh. so it's really my like comprehension. So you're like, he, he's read like <laughs> two a and book a half, and a half yeah, at yeah, this yeah. point. Yeah, he's, <laughs> really. he knows who Fitz is. Uh, but yeah, and, so clearly there's something up with that. I'll guess I'll, something up I'll with figure that. it out. There's and then this. he runs into sweet little Molly Nosebleed, which I will say, I did not necessarily cry, but I did get a little verklempt when he reads the like tablet or the scribe or whatever yeah. the fuck it is. Oh, the mother's yeah, note yeah, that's to really sweet. sweet little Molly Nosebleed. Nose gay. Wasn't yeah. that <laughs> Molly Nose gay. Chandler. I do think it's interesting that Fitz is just, like, remains new boy the whole time with her. Well, but I like that you know, he's like, very proud of identifying himself that way. He's like, no, it's me. It's new boy. I know. Because well, that's the name she gave him. She, she gave him that name. Right. And that's the yeah. only name he's ever been given that doesn't mean a Shit. bodily function. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's a great. It is a great dichotomy, though, because you know here he is being able to give Molly her name that was given to her by uh, her parent that loved right. her, mm-hmm. and you know, and we're still coming off of that idea that like Fitz did not choose his own name and he didn't choose his own crest. He's still walking around with the bastard crest. Like he just, <laughs> he's 
Alright, well if we're done with chapters 1 through 6, then I will see everyone back for chapters 7 through 12. I'm going to ask all of our new readers to say goodbye. I'm Ashley, and you can find me on Instagram at Ladybird Parker. I was Joey, and I listened to the books. And you can find me on Instagram at powerkid.exe. Pleasure Hour with Urich. So spoiler, spoiler hour is Western Pleasure Hour. That's good to know. Yeah. Well, at least for this episode. Okay. Now it's just us rereaders for yes for the spoiler part of this discussion. Hello. All published books and novellas are fair game. Yes. (laughs) Of which there are 16 books and like 8 novellas And I haven't read all of them So (laughs) some of it will be spoiled for me too But I don't care Um, So the first thing I have And I kind of just organically wrote stuff as I was reading Uh, So the first thing I have is uh, Talking about chivalry's infidelity to the realm And I I kind of said that it was It's interesting that he abdicated Over this kind of premarital conception Because Mm -hmm. later on Even in in the chapters that we read for this this episode Birch talks about how like the town folk don't really necessarily take marriage you know like into it, it, like as seriously as like the royal family would and it makes sense that the royal family would would be really like into the lineage but he wasn't even married right he wasn't even married so it's like it, he's a bastard no matter what even if it chivalry hadn't been married so i wonder if he still would have abdicated but i, I think that this may so be Birch the... also says Birch also talks about it with a lot of disdain. And that, right. that's, I mean, that's probably because he was right next to chivalry the whole time. But. Well, I feel like Birch is pissed off that, like, he didn't know about it. I think also Birch is pissed off because. Is it. Is. It's proof that the that the fault of the, of the childless marriage then might be Patience's fault. And we all know that Birch doesn't want to hear anything bad about Patience. Yeah. Uh, that whole sentence you just said hurt my head. That makes me sad. Oh, poor Patience. Don't feel bad forgot, for Burrich. I've forgotten so much of this. I'm like, I think I know what this is. <laughs> it's it's a, how how it was Burrich and Patience before it was Patience and Chivalry. I, yeah. I, I'm remembering that now and I've kind of forgotten that. So this is why I'm rereading. Patience went slumming it. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> Uh, but my other kind of the note about this was like, does this all of this kind of, you know, chivalry's abdication and Burrish's disdain for like the way that that normal folk love each other is that kind of like part of? And I mean, like, yes, Fitz is super traumatized, but is that part of Fitz's difficulty with commitment in the future? Like, he just like what like what he does to Molly is fucking bullshit. <laughs> But he has such a great example in his own father. Mm-hmm. I can, yeah, I could see that being the case. I mean, yeah, I could, yeah, I could definitely see that. I also kind of wrote to myself, like, is it shrewd that prevented chivalry from taking Fitz in, or did chivalry really just ignore Fitz because it's of patience? It's such a weird situation because, yes, like, patience clearly didn't have as much of a problem with it and clearly would have probably taken him in 
so it's very strange that that would be the reason. Yeah, because like, I mean, she immediately like is like, oh, I'm going to call you Tom. That was what I was going to name my own son. You know, right. like, she she basically adopts I'm him to... and like weeps over his body when he's dead. So I'm trying to recall if she ever said that she was really upset about it for a while. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember either, but I have this kind of nagging suspicion that patience it wasn't about patience and like everyone's saying that chivalry left and like out of respect for patience like that was chivalry being a coward and which not- makes me just want to know more about chivalry even more like i just i want to be in his head and understand his decision because it does feel very mysterious and weird to me i mean we have examples of it's it already though with fitz and and nettle like i think we've already been in chivalry's head <laughs> i mean that's fair but i mean i think you know well i mean i guess yes fitz like learned that but i, I learned know. it it's from all you so dad weird. i learned it from watching you it's, i mean it's, god it's... if chivalry's like fitz i'm very concerned maybe i don't want to be in his head but because <laughs> <laughs> he'd probably be maddening it's interesting that you say that maybe it was shrewd precipitating it because what if that was just an excuse to use Fitz as a weapon? Well, also, like, shrewd is the only one that knows about Shade, right? So, and right. Shade's getting older or appears to be getting older, and shrewd's getting older, and he needs to replenish his bastard assassin stockpile. And I think if if Chivalry was still king in waiting and then king, then Fitz would be able to be used more against them if he, like, you know, accepted him as his son or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Well, Chivalry perhaps... wouldn't let his son become a, as an assassin. That... No, I, I know that, but, like, just in terms of if people were gonna, you know, they keep talking about if he, you know, he could be taken hostage or whatever, but, like, you know, people could use fits against chivalry more if he had stayed as king. I don't yeah. I don't I don't know if that is worth getting rid of the one competent son though. <laughs> Verity's not incompetent. No, he's not. Mm, okay. He just doesn't want the job. <laughs> yeah, so he wasn't prepared to be king per yeah. se, but he was in denial that whole time. <laughs> like <laughs> Like, I thought I could just be a soldier and it'd be fine. But, yeah. Oh, no, no, I have I'm, to lead people. I'm supposed Damn. to be uh, Let's move on to... I just I, I just put Burrich, poor patience. We already <laughs> talked about that. Um, somebody at some point in the notes was talking about Burrich and the wit. And I just thought it was interesting that Burrich, you know, his, he's doing wit shit from the very beginning. I know. And he's such a hypocrite. He's such I mean, a hypocrite. Joe, yeah, Joey called him a hypocrite, but he is. He's such a hypocrite. Because, I mean, he's bonded with Vixen. Like, it's just the whole thing is... Because mm-hmm. he hides it better? Because he knows, like, that it's supposedly wrong? Is it yeah, okay I guess so. to him because he puts, like, rules on it? And Fitz doesn't Maybe. put any rules? I think it's Fitz interesting. Fitz is just so open to it, you know? Right. Right. I mean, even other witted people tell Fitz, you do this differently than the rest <laughs> well, of us. Well, I think, like, Fitz is, seems very strong with both of his magics, and I think he kind of... Very strong because... and not trained at all 
Any... Well, right, which is why he just sort of, like, does it blindly and doesn't realize what he's doing. I mean, how much of the skill is he using before he even knows what it is? I mean, he's repelling people, he's feeling their emotions, like, he's Because that's the lines. skill, right? That's the skill. If it's people, it's it's the skill. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I... I think the repelling is is the wit, but when he's, Yeah, because like... Birch seems to know about that, so I assume that was more wit than skill. But yeah, I feel but like when... it's somewhat combined. I yeah, like he I think uses he's them together in a way that does. nobody right. expects. I think that's why that nobody so else strong. can do. Yeah, I mean, he's been combining those magics from the very beginning too, which is also one of the reasons he's so, you know, it, it's so it's so hard for him later when he's training with Galen, because there are things that he does that are the wit and things that he does that are the skill and and Galen suddenly asking him to do it all with the skill and he can. Plus, Galen is terrible. So. Yes, he's an awful person that ruins everything. He really um, sucks. <laughs> does. Because, I mean, he, he closes him off to everything and he makes everything so much harder later on. But, yeah, who, it, I don't know. I just... Who wrote this gonna... note in the in the doc about it's interesting, the contrast between how the wit is so naturally used and the skill takes such a toll and is addicting and can destroy a person? That's... Well, that I wrote that. You wrote, so especially did, because the skill hardly seems much more useful than the wit. You think that the skill does is not as useful or less useful than the wit? I think that they are similar. They're just different. I mean, they're, <laughs> they are very... Well, is the it's, skill... It's, a, it's, a, it's like a communication type. I feel like so the, the skill, skill is telepathy. Only... The skill is telepathy right. with people. And the wit is telepathy with animals with some other benefits with but, some other also get, but the wit is also like you know it's like radar for people that are things that are living you know there's more to it than just like talking to certain right. animals right well i mean there's more to the skill than just telepathy you know, you can travel through the skill pillars and all that kind of stuff right but on, the farseers but... don't know that like they right <laughs> well i like, think they're the just with... they're i was gonna say the thing with that comment about the the skill taking a toll. Which, I mean, it does, but obviously for Fitz, it's more of a toll just because of what Galen does to him. Because I don't think... Yeah. I mean, he's doing it instinctually anyway at the beginning, and it's not taking that kind of toll on him at all. Which I think That's is true. interesting. Right, it's not. I it's mean, not he's taking not, any kind of toll He's not on using him. it correctly, per se, but he's still doing it, and it's not affecting him in any way at all, so... Right. And it only takes a toll on Shade later because they're doing those fucking drugs. Right. And yeah, Shade because that's the, the thing. That they gets, start taking that, gets, that fits that, hooked on all the drugs, <laughs> right? Which is a terrible, terrible idea. And combined with the stuff that Galen does to him, it just ruins him. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. It's they're they're just fucked up. That's yeah. because does anyone else really have? I mean, I know when you go through the skill pillars, you can get messed up, but that's a, a different sort of thing. But I don't feel like anybody else struggles with the skill the same way that those two do because they're just messing themselves up. Yeah, because they're taking all those fucking drugs. I, right. <laughs> I, I, but I do think it's interesting because, like, when you think about, when you think, so there's another, um, this is related to the mingling of the out-islander and the continental blood that produces the skill that Ashley mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's the concentration of bloodlines, right? So we know that the skill and is coming from is the association with dragons, right? Like the elderlings are people mm -hmm. who have been changed somehow fundamentally by dragons because the dragons want them to be changed. So, but where does the wit come that, from? 
I that's the part I can't really figure out because like we know that when the the elderlings become elderlings that they lose their virility, right? They're not very so, you know, it may never not have been Patience's fault, but anyway, the, they lose their virility. <laughs> so we have these three populations, the people in the mountains, the people, the out islanders, and then the people of the six duchies who there's probably really only one bloodline in each of those areas, right? And so they're so diluted that you have to combine them to get somebody who's able to access the skill. That's my, now, that's my the, interpretation. Does the wit come from his mountainside? Or did chivalry, like, have the wit, too? Well, I see, I don't know, because... Because Burridge isn't from there. Well, his family isn't all from there, right? His grandmother came from Jamalia. Oh, I don't remember somewhere, his family. Well, somewhere, one of, those, one of the places that people are enslaved near... Near Chalced. Chalced, yeah. Okay. And that's clear, that's near the Mountain Kingdom. So maybe the wit comes more from the mountain. Well, I mean, that's what I always the dragons. The dragons have the wit and the skill, right? That's I mean, that's a. Well, because the only people that really have the wit in these books are like people, well, Burridge, and then like people descended from Fitz. Well, and people who live in. There's people in the six duchies that have the wit. Yeah, I know. I guess we just don't see as much of them but i think the wit is probably more common than the skill though like that's true people just don't talk about it yeah because it's supposed to be like the farseer magic but that's probably because they're all descended from that from some one elderling that like had a kid over there (laughs) and then every you know it's Mm -hmm. but but you know part of this part of becoming an elderling is like yeah you get to live longer and like you get to become you have all this magic but you also like become deformed and like can't breathe and you're and like your bones are hurting all the time like there's there, there is a negative to the magic so like maybe also yeah. the skill messes you up because it just takes right the the dragon magic isn't at all a gift well i mean i feel like magic systems in these kind in these kind of worlds you know, should have consequences so it yeah. makes sense that they do but yeah what else do I have in here? Um, oh yeah, so yeah, Capit is Fitz's original name. <laughs> Pretty sure we spoiled that. Sorry, guys, uh, but that's not my fault. And <laughs> well, I think Ashley's pretty observant, so yeah. Well, I think also she has heard us talk about the books enough to know that like Fitz is isn't is more than he seems, so she's looking for stuff. Yeah. She ain't, she ain't gonna she ain't gonna guess at all. <laughs> <laughs> how could uh, you? How could you? It's crazy. Uh, but I my other my other observation is that the fool just seems so young. <laughs> like, because when I first read them, I thought of the fool as like an old man, and I thought of Burrich as an old man, and then like was really confused later when they weren't. Uh, <laughs> but you know, like I've reread it since then, and I'm just like struck by how small and 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 young and like just small and well and i think his, his personality changes a lot in these first three books yeah he's well, I think really it's interesting shy. having read the the third trilogy and getting b and her growing up because yeah 
you know, you get more of an insight into right the fool and how he is and why he is. Mm-hmm. I things. just like you know, <laughs> he, I just think about like I'm like oh my god, at this point he has escaped the white prophets, crossed yeah. half the world. There are people trying to kill him, and he's hiding in plain sight, and he's just like so brave and so young, and I don't know. <laughs> the best the best <laughs> wagging his tongue at Adam said I thought that it was nice that the fool seems to have channeled his traumatic childhood into a much more positive uh, personality than Fitz had you know, other side of the coin yeah, much much more positive mm-hmm. well I think the fool is I mean once he escapes you know he's sort of directing his own path Whereas, I mean, Fitz, you know, really is truly the catalyst. Like, people are just using him in any way, and he's just being pushed and pulled around. I don't think he really is self-directing his Right. He doesn't know his, his purpose, whereas the fool knows his purpose. The fool yeah. has a purpose, and I think that it, does change everything for someone who is lost. He's, right, he's there, and he's he's found the Fitz, so he's he's happy. Yeah. Because once, once Fitz gets, like, his little, you know, missions with shade and stuff like that I feel like he feels like he has more of a purpose and then he's happier yeah but you know when he's just sort of floundering about he's just like I don't know I'm lonely and terrible and this is awful right and, and it's sucks. just he's so dismissive of fool of the fool too where he's just like alright weirdo <laughs> I, I I mean this is in the next section but I just love the part where he's like how do you tell someone that you've been thinking they were a moron for years without like, insulting them <laughs> Which, again, is why I said that, like, when we were talking earlier about how Fitz, like, doesn't speak and just stares at people, like, yep. they all probably thought he was an idiot, and he thinks that the fool is an idiot, and I just think it's amusing. Cause it's oh, well, he thinks man. the fool's an idiot because he can't feel what the fool feels. He's, like, the that's one true. person that he can't read, so that's why he thinks he's an idiot, because he thinks there's nothing there to read. So that's that's the thing that I... I said I was reading earlier, so I was, uh, I was reading through Tumblr things, but um, that Fitz doesn't understand the fool for a lot of reasons, but one of the largest and least thought of ones is this long ago his wit told him that he couldn't and he never got past it. He relies on the wit, what his wit tells him about people's intentions slightly more than he relies on listening to their actual words would. The fool, however, is a wordsmith who doesn't show up to the wit, and so where Fitz would usually be picking up a lot of information about how they feel towards him and the intentions behind their words, he's only getting static. The fool, in turn, doesn't understand why Fitz doesn't understand him. The fool doesn't realize that despite all of his encouragements, compliments, jokes, and camaraderie, he inevitably makes Fitz feel ignorant and unintelligent. (laughs) Sounds like flirting then, to me. I don't know. And then someone commented and said, I also want to add that Fitz and the Fool don't really understand each other's feelings because they place the most importance on different things. Fitz expresses himself through actions and he pays more attention to the actions of others rather than what they say. Actions like the Fool being different people at the same time and the Fool always leaving him at some point. Those actions mean more to Fitz than all the I love you's the Fool ever says. And that's why he gets hurt and never really believes those words. 
And then the fool expresses himself through words and gives importance to words and actions, no matter how much Fitz sacrifices himself to save the fool and make sure he is fine. But the fool remembers that Fitz is, isn't able to actually say he loves him and stuff like that. Right. He doubts Fitz. This is love for him because really like he's never able to express them in words. I know, I really liked it too. Yeah. Because it, it really rings true to me. It does. It will, like, Fitz is selfish and the fool is not. Like, they're, they're opposites. So it's how, how, do they, how do they communicate when they both are prioritizing their own, their own needs. Like, they're trying to communicate, but they prioritize their own needs. This reminds me that I was looking in the Robin Hobb wiki, and I was just looking up skill stuff because I was trying to figure out, like, did we ever figure out, like, where the skill came from? And uh, there's, like, a note in it that was like, oh, uh, the fool is uh, Fitz's best friend. And I'm like, oh, okay, his best, his best gal pal. And, <laughs> and that, like, there's, like, a weird note. Because it's, like, a wiki, right? So someone wrote it. And the, the right. note is, like, oh, he, you know, even though that uh, the fool expresses love for Fitz, Fitz says that he doesn't, like, return any kind of, like, sexual love. But that their friendship transcends those things. And I was, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fitz doesn't know what to feel, okay? Fitz doesn't know what to feel, but we are not him. We know what's going on. One of my favorite moments is when uh, uh, the fool comes into his room after he's, like, had a romping night with Molly. And... Oh, yes. <laughs> and, he's uh, so mean. And uh, the fool is joking about the, the smell. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd love some of that, but not from you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, why would you even say that? Why would Because he... <laughs> he was dealing with his feel, his jealousy feelings by I know. acting out. Yeah. Oh, it's, they're so complicated. Fits <sighs> so stupid. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that that concludes our spoiler talk. Uh, I'm sure there will be much more. I think ending on Fitz is stupid is a great way Fitz to. Fitz is stupid, yeah. you guys. Um, all right, cool. Then I will see and I will hear from you all for chapters 7 through 12 in our next episode. All right, well, that's it for Buckkeep Radio. Tune in next time for episode 2, Assassin's Apprentice, chapters 7 through 12. I'm Rachel, and you can find me on Twitter at Darth Rachel. And also at RTFB Podcast and the Fire and Lunch Podcast. I'm Eli, and you can find me at Chewy Bread Cosplay on Instagram. I'm Jenny, and you can find me at Jenny Slife 87 on Twitter, uh, Jen Snow on Redbubble, and uh, on the Fire and Lunch Podcast. All right. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.